Happy holidays! Thanks for taking a breather from all the seasonal events and other stuff to listen to some Miami Marlins talk with me. Or if you're sitting around friends and family right now and playing the podcast on speaker for them, hey, that's awesome! Tell Auntie Lisette I said what's up. This is Eli Sussman, managing editor of Fish Stripes with a new Fish Bites podcast. Subscribe to us on your preferred pod platform or catch up on everything at fishstripes.com. The Marlins officially signed 10 free agents this past week. Uh, the only major league one of those is a 29-year-old Dominican right-hander, Yimmy Garcia, mostly known for pitching for the Dodgers at the major league level in the past handful of years. He gets a $1.1 million guarantee from the Marlins with another $200,000 available in performance bonuses based on how many games he pitched. So it maxes out at potentially $1.3 million, and it is the first Major League offseason free agent signing for the Marlins so far. From that standpoint, it is a significant step, even if it is uh, just a one-ending-at-a-time reliever who's had some issues with the long ball in the past. Uh, Garcia is someone that rates extremely well if you look at StatCast and other um, next-level stats. Uh, the conventional stats are pretty good. But if you look at his above-average fastball velocity, his way above-average fastball spin rate, as well as what he does with his slider to create swings and misses, and the fact that he is so precise with his command, or not always precise, he's precise as a, a strike thrower, a very consistent strike thrower with good control. So I should distinguish between the control and the command, and it's really the latter that is the big question moving forward. Can he keep his pitches out of the middle of the plate? Can you work around the edges while still getting ahead in the count reliably? Uh, all that is waiting to be seen. If the Marlins like what they get with him, he is arbitration eligible for the 2021 season as well. Uh, just a relatively low-risk signing, but one that is very dearly needed for the Marlins considering how poor their bullpen was, especially towards the end of the 2019 season. Uh, but this first big segment of this podcast episode is going to focus on the other guys, the nine other minor league free agents that they signed. They were uh, what you would call non-roster invitees to Major League Spring Training. All those were announced uh, just a few days ago, uh, addressing a handful of different positions. Uh, those guys receive a, a very, m very modest signing bonus and those haven't been reported yet but these minor league deals they come with very modest bonuses for these guys uh considering you don't get a set salary during spring training and and all that uh, these guys really have to prove themselves in spring training every year uh, i did feel they were worth discussing though because if you look at the success that the marlins had last year with their non-roster invitees two of those being john birdie and harold ramirez and harold especially during that you know, first third, first half of the season, and then John Birdie, especially during the second half of the season, those guys were two of the most important players on the major league team when we got to certain points of the season, and both of them figured to fit prominently into the team's plans moving forward. So now that there's a new wave coming in, and this is just the first wave of 2020, you should expect some more uh, minor league signings later in the offseason as we get closer. Just make sure that you 
you have a solid depth at every single position. But these these first nine guys that we're about to go through one by one, uh, considering that um, the expectations for each individual should be relatively low. But as a group, these are guys that do have a realistic shot. Of, well, a few of them do have realistic shots of actually impacting the Marlins at the major league level, both in 2020. And if they are able to do that, uh, then they could figure into the long-term plans as well. After introducing each of these nine guys, I will give you my updated Marlins opening day roster projection. Now, we know pretty reliably that the team is still calling around looking to make a couple additions more to the roster outside of these signings and that the roster isn't yet complete. And that's going to be baked into my projection as well. Uh, remember that rosters, the active rosters expand from 25 guys to 26 this coming season. And uh, I'll do my best to approximate what those 26 names will be on opening day, including a few guys that aren't yet with the organization, but that I uh, believe I have a strong hunch that they are targets for the team right now. And so that's going to be uh, the final segment of this episode to have a lot of fun with. With, and I'll certainly invite everybody else to give me their own opening day roster projections as we head into the holidays. So, going through the non-roster invitees in alphabetical order based on last name, we begin with catcher Santiago Chavez, 24 years old. So he is going to be the youngest of these group of non-roster invitees. And for his minor league career, you're going to want to be sitting down for this. He is a 194 career hitter with a 247 career on base percentage, a 243 career slugging percentage. So that's a career OPS under 500 uh, using weighted runs created plus, you know, which adjusts for the league average being 100. It puts everything in that scale. He has a 41 career weighted runs created plus. And uh, even by catchers, um, a catcher perspective, which is the weakest hitting of all the position players, he is the third worst hitting catcher that I could find in minor league baseball over the last decade. Um, he does have a career 47% caught stealing rate. So if you wondered how a guy that is such a liability at the plate it could remain a professional player in affiliated ball for a handful of years, it's because they believe he has a lot of value defensively. Uh, this past season, he was the primary catcher for Double A Jacksonville. And if you've been following the podcast, you know that the Marlins had some great pitching performances in Jacksonville with the Jumbo Shrimp last year. So I imagine that Chavez had a lot to do with that, with building chemistry with these guys uh, on the mound and in the clubhouse and whatnot. Uh, I just can't get around how poorly he's done as a hitter throughout his professional career. And I just looking at the track record of other players that hit this poorly in the minors and had any substantial major league career, I, I don't think there are any that, that really had a stable job in the majors at some point. Uh, but as I noted at the beginning, he is relatively young for a non-roster invitee. Uh, there is certainly some room to get better. And the Marlins have brought in a couple coaches this year to try to help with improving the offensive abilities of their players. So maybe that has a positive effect on him. Uh, overall, though, I think you can. It's a fairly safe bet that he won't be on the opening day roster. Uh, as you'll find out, the Marlins have four catchers already invited as non-roster invitees. That's because they only have two guys on the 40-man roster that can catch, those being Jorge Alfaro and Chad Wallach. If anything happens to one of those, then they need to add somebody else 
to the roster to actually play meaningful games for them. Uh, and Chavez is one of the candidates, but in my opinion, not really the leading candidate. It's it's most likely that he'll end up um, staying in the Marlins organization during the 2020 season, but at Jacksonville or maybe AAA Wichita. Next up, 25-year-old infielder Gosuke Kato. He comes over from a career in the Yankees organization, a former second-round draft pick out of high school, someone that was raised for a lot of his life in the United States and drafted immediately out of high school by the Yankees. Uh, first career in the minor leagues, 251 batting average, 354 on-base percentage, 374 slugging percentage. That is a 109 WRC plus, so firmly above average. And looking at his career, uh, I mean, there's a handful of things that actually stuck out uh, about about him. Uh, one was that he idolized Ichiro Suzuki growing up, coming from a, a Japanese family, and he got to meet Ichiro. Considering that Kato was a high draft pick in the Yankees organization, they bring those players around the major league team at certain points, and Ichiro played for the Yankees a couple of years, so he got to meet his idol, as he calls it. Uh, the other one is statistically what jumps out is his walk rate, a 13.3% walk rate in his career. So almost one out of every seven plate appearances, he's drawn a walk as a pro. And if you're wondering, I thought it was a lot of fun to compare it with some notable big leaguers, such as Mookie Betts, the Red Sox superstar. He had a 13.2% walk rate in the minors. Uh, Yoan Moncada, who took a big leap forward for the White Sox last year and was formerly baseball's number one overall prospect. He also had a 13.2% walk rate in the minors. So Kato is in their company in that one specific category. Uh, certainly not the end-all, be-all. It doesn't make up for the fact that Kato is a relatively light hitter overall last year. Uh, played with double-A Trenton, with triple-A Scranton Wilkes-Barre, and he had 11 home runs, and that was his career high. If you've been following minor league baseball, uh, you, you will know that in triple-A last year, they changed the ball. They used a ball that carries more, and that led to an enormous spike in home runs in the minors. So when you have a player like this, who's never really hit for power, and then all of a sudden, he, he has what you think to be a respectable home run total, a lot of that has to do with the new ball that he was using in AAA that hadn't been used in prior years. All that being said, I think he is an intriguing player. We had Daniel Smith on our website on Friday write a more detailed article about Kato and how he could fit into the Marlins' plans, potentially in the majors at some point. Uh, the fact that he is very disciplined at the plate and works deep counts, that's something the Marlins were deeply lacking last year. Uh, Kato, for most of his career, was strictly a second baseman, but then last year, you see that the Marl the Yankees, rather, they used him more as a utility guy, where he still played a lot of second base, but also several other spots in the infield, all four infield positions he made double-digit starts at, and he also played in the outfield a little bit as well. So that kind of versatility is so critical in baseball these days. And for the Yankees last year, uh, they were overwhelmed with injuries. Kato was not someone that got an opportunity to get called up, which is surprising uh, because just about everybody in the high levels of the Yankees minor league system had some stretch of time in the major leagues because of all the injuries to more established players. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind that as much need as the Yankees had for more position players at the major league level, Kato was passed over a few times for a call up and last year's first AAA experience in the majors. Uh, all that being said, I think there's a very decent chance 
that he plays for the Marlins in the majors this year. Um, again, not a super flashy skill set in any one way, but considering he's someone that some Yankees executives knew when, um, well, some Marlins executives knew when they were in the Yankees system with him, that familiarity certainly helps. Uh, I imagine he'll get a significant amount of plate appearances in spring training, uh, a severe long shot for the opening day roster for sure, but somebody that I imagine will be sent to AAA Wichita at the start of the year in all likelihood, and he'll certainly have a chance to earn his way up uh, depending on what injuries come up. And uh, yeah, we'll see what he's able to do in the power department coming off the year that he had in the Yankees system. The third of the minor league signings this past week, catcher Ryan LaVarnway, who's now 32 years old. He's been around a while, a draft pick way back in 2008 for the Red Sox, and he had a really decorated minor league career uh, the first handful of years. A 275 career batting average in the minors, 367 on base, 452 slugging for a catcher. So that is a 128 weighted runs created plus at a position that you usually will be willing to overlook offensive shortcomings to make him play. And he's sort of had the opposite issue where his defense has had some mixed reviews over the years. He's had a handful of opportunities in the major leagues, first with the Red Sox. And then since then, he's played a little bit with the the Reds. Yeah, most recently his major league experience came in Cincinnati for his major league career, 211 career batting average, 270 on base percentage, 343 slugging, and that is over 445 plate appearances, uh, parts of eight seasons, is that right? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a guy that has very consistently, the only consistency in his life has been uh, inconsistency in, in moving up and down from AAA to the major league level. In 2019, he had some time in the Yankees system, also the Reds when he got called up to the majors, finished off the regular season in the Cleveland Indians minor league system, and then the Israeli national team. I know there are a few listeners in the Fish Stripes audience that follow international baseball very closely, and in particular the Israeli team, which has qualified for the 2020 Olympics for the very first time in their history. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where Lavarnway is uh, next summer when that happens, whether he's still on a major league team or not, and whether he participates in that. Uh, he's a guy that certainly has a, a wealth of experience, much more than the other catchers that are currently invited to spring training, and that should give him something of an edge if, for example, the the Marlins do find themselves needing to add a new catcher to their roster before the season. Chad Wallach is currently in place as the backup. He impressed a lot of people early in 2019, and then he was derailed by a concussion. That really derailed his whole season. A couple of attempts to try to make it back from the injured list, and um, new complications popped up. That's a really unpredictable situation. Concussions can derail careers, even though Wallach is, at this point, 28 years old. He should be right entering his prime of his career. Uh, but this is certainly an unusual case and potentially an unfortunate case where um, it just puts a lot of doubt over whether he'll be able to consistently stay healthy. Uh, LaVarnway over any of these other catchers, and I'd say, um, yeah, compared to pretty much most of these position players that were minor league signings, LaVarnway would have the inside track at an opening day roster spot if for whatever reason something goes awry with the Marlins' current catching situation. Another infielder, Christian Lopes, entering his age 27 season, uh, batting from the right side, 
in his minor league career a 262 career batting average 345 on base 387 slugging a 106 wrc plus and the more i looked into him it seems to have a lot of similarities to kato who we just mentioned a few minutes ago Uh, just a right-handed compliment to him very similar results in their minor league career uh, just like kato uh, he was a utility guy at double a and triple a in 2019 and just like kato he had a career high in home runs this past season that i imagine was significantly helped by the juiced ball that they were using in triple a that hadn't been used in prior seasons uh, another thing that stuck out is he just seems to be accumulating a lot of reps in the minors. Yeah, he's been a professional player most of this decade, and in most of these seasons, 120 games or more, don't really see any history of serious in-season injuries. And that's I mean, that's a pretty important skill that we sometimes take for granted, is just your availability and avoiding very severe issues. So if, if that continues then you imagine just like Kato, um, if he's really productive in the minors, uh, depending on what the Marlins do as we get later into the season towards the trade deadline, they end up moving any of their veteran infielders, uh, maybe whether it's a Jonathan VR, once it's clear that they won't be trying to retain him as a free agent, should be going towards AAA Wichita to begin the season. Uh, But of course, we'll have to see exactly what happens in spring training. Another intriguing guy who has uh, bounced around a couple different organizations, including the Rangers organization, and uh, yeah, seems like perfectly fine acquisition to bring to the team. Not super high upside, but I, I can definitely see where he potentially fits on the major league roster, depending on if a couple things go in his favor. Next up, catcher BJ Lopez, who has already been in the Marlins organization the past few years, 25 years old, in his minor league career, 208 career batting average, 209 on base, 236 slugging. So uh, some unfortunate similarities to Santiago Chavez mentioned at the beginning of the segment where uh, he's a pretty one-dimensional player. You're just banking on his defense having an impact. Lopez, in his career, 999 plate appearances in the minors, one home run. That's a .029 isolated power, subtracting the batting average from the slugging percentage, and it's one of the lowest out of any minor leaguer in recent history who's actually had a pretty significant experience. Lopez now, um, a handful of years playing pro ball, so he stuck around a little bit uh, because of his defense and his catching talent, but uh, the bat just isn't there. First career, 33% caught stealing rate in the minors. And in 2019, mostly a backup catcher with high A Jupiter and double A Jacksonville, a familiar face, uh, but the same way as with Chavez and perhaps even more so with Chavez, he, he was, um, Lopez is probably behind him on the depth chart. This is more about just bringing uh, as many catchers as possible to spring training in order to actually be there to receive the exhibition pitches from the pitchers themselves there's really not a whole lot to that he's he's not what i would call a strong candidate to play for the marlins in the majors in 2020 uh, somewhat of a long shot to make it to the majors at all but clearly he's made a positive impression on some guys within the organization that's how you stick around this long despite the shaky bat he, he clearly has some intangibles that he brings to the situation and uh, he'll report to spring training just like the rest of these guys 
And right in the middle of this list is by far the most high profile of this first wave of non-roster invitees. It is former All-Star, three-time All-Star, Matt Kemp, who is going to be 35 years old this coming year. And uh, by far the most prominent of all these guys in his major league career, a 285 career hitter, 337 on base, 485 slugging. He has 281 major league home runs. He has 183 stolen bases. Both of those totals far and away more than anybody on the current Marlins roster. And uh, I think that's something that we haven't quite emphasized enough is how lacking the Marlins are on the position player side right now from having any uh, old guys in in camp and there's some value to that to being old but still having some life left in your game and that's gonna be the big question for Kemp he's 7,000 played appearances into his major league career and uh what what does he have left in the tank at this point he was a guy that at the beginning of this decade the very beginning almost 10 years ago he was an elite player for the Dodgers as their everyday center fielder it was during the 2011 season that he was um fell a little bit short of winning the NL Most Valuable Player Award. Uh, If you look at it a couple different ways, he had a very strong case for being the MVP that year, finished runner-up to Ryan Braun. Uh, The connection that was mentioned a couple times, this one leaked out a couple days before the official announcement about Kemp, and what was emphasized is its relationship with Don Mattingly, who is now the manager of the Marlins, formerly was the manager of the Dodgers in 2011 through 2015, and for the first four of those seasons, Kemp played directly under Mattingly. So they have a lot of history with one another, and it just so happens that Kemp was an elite player when he played under Mattingly for those years. Uh, fast forwarding to 2019, he started off the season with the Reds, and that's because he was traded to the Reds in a salary dump from the Dodgers. He made it out of spring training for the team. That was a team that, if you may remember, they did have some significant expectations last year to take a step forward. And Kemp was one of the guys who was holding them back at the beginning of the year. For the first month plus of the season, he hit 200. He wasn't getting on base, grounded into a lot of double plays, only a 283 slugging percentage, well below replacement level overall. And after 62 plate appearances, the Reds cut him. He was picked up by the Mets. He was assigned to their AAA affiliate, only played a handful of games, and then he was cut from that as well. So he has been out of work since about the All-Star break of 2019. And, uh, I mean, there's some obvious reasons why the, the appeal was here. It was not only the Madeline connection, but if you look at 2018, just one year prior to that, he was an All-Star with the Dodgers, uh, a guy that I think uh, people saw pretty clearly wasn't quite the same player he was early in the decade. He did regress late in the 2018 season. And once the Dodgers made it to the postseason, he was a very limited part-time player for them. So on a team like that, uh, there was really no path for him to be a true everyday impact player. Uh, With the Marlins, if he's that same quality of player somehow as he was in 2018, then they have room for him. And it's not really the craziest thing to think that a guy in his age 35 season can replicate what he did at age 33. Uh, some of the questions from Kemp uh, throughout uh, the last handful of years have been this conditioning, someone that initially, the first time he was traded from the Dodgers to the Padres five years ago, um, he, he put on some weight and made him much less effective in the outfield where he used to be a center fielder with some questionable uh, defensive metrics. And 
pretty quickly he got shifted to the corners, the outfield corners, and he didn't really make that transition very well. I don't think there's ever been a point where he was a strong corner outfielder either. And at this point in his career, I think even regardless if he's in the shape of his life, um, just all the wear and tear from what he's been through, he's going to be a liability defensively and most likely as a base runner. this, This is a bet on his bat breaking through. Um, I'd be very disappointed if they signed him in lieu of actually bringing in a prime-aged free agent outfielder. Uh, some some of you know how big an advocate I am for Yasiel Puig, uh, or even if a, a small step down from that, someone like Corey Dickerson or Cole Calhoun. There's still several options out there that are near their prime of their careers and certainly have more athleticism than Kemp does at this stage of his career. Those guys would certainly have higher floors as a player than Kemp does. The floor for Kemp right now is that he doesn't make it out of spring training, and that's really where I am right now. That's, I think, the most likely scenario is that he does not make the opening day roster, and uh, I'd be curious to see what the language is in his contract, what his opt-out situation is. I imagine he's a fairly early opt-out. Uh, in the season if he's not on the major league roster allowing him to explore other opportunities but this is a guy that has so much experience in the majors and the fact that he's been successful uh, I, I overall it is a positive to have him around the young outfielders in major league camp even the guys that won't necessarily be on the opening day roster either guys on the bubble like uh, Monte Harrison or Jesus Sanchez or even further down, someone like J.J. Bladey. The Marlins have so many very important outfield prospects right now, and to have them interacting directly with Kemp, someone who's been through it, who's now experienced several different stages of his career, all that is going to be a net positive for the team. I just want to suppress expectations for him actually being on the field in 2020. Most likely, when when you see this stuff go, when you have someone come off the year that he had in 2019, when he looks so clearly overmatched against Major League Pitching, historically, those guys don't bounce back. Or I mean, he could bounce back a little bit, but I, I believe that in most cases, when you struggle to that extent, you never reclaim yourself as uh, being an all-star caliber player. Let's put it that way. So it will depend on what they do also on the other areas of their roster. At this stage of his career, I think Kemp is very comparable to someone like Austin Dean. Dean is obviously much younger, but in terms of the skill set that those guys have, where you're willing to live with a shaky defense because they hit the ball hard and they hit it on a line and they don't strike out too much. So there are some skills that Kemp potentially could have if he's in his best physical shape and in the proper mindset. Uh, but more likely than not, it's it's still just an odd fit, especially if you assume that the Marlins are going to pay up for one other significant outfielder before the offseason is done. Another catcher, Brian Navarretto, 25 years old, in his minor league career, 214, batting average 264, on base 307, slugging with a very strong 45% caught stealing rate. And uh, that's gone up even a little higher right now that he's playing in winter ball, first in the Dominican Republic, then in Puerto Rico. Uh, Every week I've been monitoring how these guys are doing in winter ball leagues that are anybody affiliated with the Marlins organization that people might have interest in. So Navarrete was actually the first of all these signings to kind of leak out Uh, several weeks ago. He actually broke the news himself on Instagram and showed himself in a um, photoshopped Marlins uniform. And he's so pretty excited to be joining the team. This was his first time as a free agent in pro ball. 
most of his career in the Minnesota Twins organization and then traded late in the 2019 season to the Yankees. So no major league experience. Last year he was at a double A for the most part, double A Pensacola, double A Trenton, uh, largely a backup with the team, with those teams. And so winter ball has given him a shot to rack up a lot of extra plate appearances. And he's done that. He's gotten a lot of playing time in the Dominican and now currently in Puerto Rico. Uh, unfortunately, he's not been producing well at all. Uh, a guy that, as I already mentioned, has a pretty shaky track record as a hitter in affiliated ball. And so far in winter ball, it's not going very well either. Uh, just striking out a lot for, for any guy, even adjusting for the catcher's position. He's a, a native of Puerto Rico. And we know that pretty early in the year, the Marlins go to Puerto Rico to play the Mets in a special series. Uh, I don't think Navarro is going to be on the roster at that time, but he certainly will have some sort of role in the organization. For all the catchers that we've mentioned, it's worth noting the ones that they're losing from the 2019 season. Brian Holiday, a free agent who has shown um, no inclination of re-signing with the team. Yeah, there doesn't appear to be much mutual interest, even though he did hit pretty well for the Marlins last year. Also, Tyler Heineman, who the Marlins had acquired midseason at AAA. He was an amazing hitter for AAA New Orleans um, with another guy that really benefited from the juiced ball, it seems. And then he got his call up late in the year. He had a very dramatic home run against the Mets late in the year as well. Um, but he was also, he was waived, it was outrighted to the minors. He elected free agency after the season, and he just said on Twitter, this may have gone under the radar, but he has already signed with the team, not being the Marlins. He hasn't identified what that team is, but he is out of the picture as well. So if you're using him, you're losing Holiday. Wellington Castillo was a guy last year who had that amazing story. Ten years between Major League regular season appearances. Uh, He's a guy at this point, I think he'll be 36, 35, 36, um, that they've shown no likeliness to re-sign as well. You need to replace all that depth. So uh, a couple of these guys certainly seem likely to stick with the Marlins in the organization, even if they don't make the roster. And uh, Navarreto is definitely one of them as a guy that had most of his background with the Twins. Maybe he's crossed paths with James Rousen, the new Marlins offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't know what that relationship was like. That's just uh, spitballing here as to why this connection was made, but he's another guy that you could see catching some significant innings in double A or in triple A during the season that will work itself out. The uh, final two to be named here among the non roster invitees, both of them pitchers, beginning with right hander Aaron Northcraft, who is 29 years old. Uh, a really interesting story that we'll get to in a moment. In his minor league career, a 387 earned run average in 853 and one-thirds innings pitched. He has been around the block quite a bit, and most of that, as you would guess, because of all the innings that he's been able to rack up, he's spent the majority of his pro career as a starter. Uh, At this point, though, the Marlins are looking at him as a reliever. He is someone that, after the 2016 season, he took a hiatus from professional baseball. I'm sure we'll get more of his story when he reports the spring training and all that, because it took nearly two full years for him to return to pro ball in the Dominican Winter League, and all of a sudden he was dominant down there. He was a guy that was decent in the minor leagues, but clearly thought that his path to the show had um, been blocked in some respects. He felt he had plateaued or something. He came back with a changed delivery that uh, we have some highlights that we put up on our social media feeds already of Northcraft, and there'll be more in the article that he has a very unconventional 
arm angle, and that has clearly had a lot of success. Not top-end velocity by any means. It's just the delivery itself and his pitch selection, and he's been able to throw strikes from that unconventional angle. So he had results in the Dominican League. Last year, he latched on with the AAA affiliate of the Mariners, and he put up a 1.87 ERA in AAA, less than a base runner per inning, 27.3% strikeout rate in 33 two-thirds innings at AAA. Pitched a little bit at lower levels as well, most of the work at AAA, and he was great. Uh, the strikeout rate, not overwhelming. It's This is more so a guy that you're going to trust to be able to get ahead in counts in the strike zone and um, induce some weak contact. That's what the Marlins are looking for when they missed out on Sergio Romo. Sergio Romo getting a $5 million guarantee from the Twins. Uh, the Marlins shopping for more of a bargain to fill out their bullpen. And Northcraft is one that I could definitely see fitting into this mix. Optimistically, the Marlins should be still pursuing at least one other major league reliever this offseason, someone to certainly raise the floor of their team right now, someone with experience, still a handful of really intriguing relievers out there on the free agent market, but I really don't blame them for trying to get, um, trying to find a diamond in the rough in Aaron Northcraft. Because when you have someone that is unique like this in this day and age where everybody's so focused on velocity and the the three-quarters delivery, uh, having someone that's a change of pace can be really effective. Um, we saw that in Miami not that long ago with first well with Sergio Romo in 2019 with Brad Ziegler in 2018. You don't need to throw 96 miles per hour to be successful. And uh, Northcraft is going to be a really interesting one to watch. I imagine he's going to get to pitch in a handful of spring training games, and we'll see how the rest of the roster maps out around him. Finally, the ninth of these non-roster invitees is Josh A. Smith. He's a right-hander, most recently pitched for the Red Sox, entering his age 32 season. Not to be confused with Josh D. Smith. At at the end of last season in September, Marlins somewhat curiously claimed a lefty named Josh Smith as well, and uh, he made a handful of his appearances before being sent on his way and no longer part of the organization. And they've replaced him with another Josh Smith, but with a different middle initial, Josh A. Smith. Let me see if I can find his middle name. Josh Allen Smith, and nicknamed Smitty. <laughs> All right. So Josh A. Smith, in his minor league career, 379 ERA, a 1.27 FIP. 22.4% strikeout rate in over a thousand innings. So that's solid performance overall. But when you're at this stage of your career, 32 years old, um, you don't want to really, at this point, the minor league performance isn't something you could read into all that much. He's had a few opportunities in the majors and uh, he hasn't done too well. A 5.40 ERA, 5.37 FIP. So both those kind of agree that he's been poor allowing one and a half base runners per inning, 158 innings with the Reds, with the Oakland A's, with the Boston Red Sox. Um, so here, here's what sticks out, the fact that he's had some major league time. We have more precise measurements of his spin rate, and he has elite spin rate on his curveball last season in the 95th percentile. Uh, he didn't really have that much success, though. I mean, if you look at the batting average and the slugging against that pitch, uh, it was responsible for a lot of his struggles in 2019 were against the curveball. But you imagine if the Marlins are somehow able to get him to locate that pitch better, use it in certain sequences, 
that uh, it can be more successful because that's a big factor we've seen in having success with your breaking balls is being able to spin it at a high rate. He is a South Florida native. He was born in Margate in Broward County. He went to high school, what, in Boca Raton? Yeah, Grandview Prep. Uh, for those of you that know where that is, I, I actually don't. And uh, so some, somewhat intriguing as well that um, he pitched low leverage relief endings for the Red Sox this past year and uh, a lot of time in AAA when he wasn't in the majors. Just a, an interesting depth arm because of the spin rate that he has, the wealth of experience that he has. Um, at the very least, maybe you have him as a starter in AAA if the Marlins are fortunate enough with a lot of their top pitching prospects that they're able to break through to the majors and avoid injury, uh, then you need someone to fill out those innings in AAA. Uh, conversely, if those guys are struggling early in the year, you have a couple unfortunate injuries in spring training, then he's a guy you can plug into the AAA starting rotation and um, just give him a long look down there. Uh, last year, they brought in Hector Noah C for the same kind of role, and he did pretty well in AAA and did not convert at all when he was called up to the majors. But these are the kind of guys that it doesn't cost much, but it is essential, really, to have these kind of depth pieces that don't necessarily feel too invested in, but they protect the your biggest investments. They protect those top prospects. I would not be shocked if at some point during the regular season, Josh Smith wears a Marlins uniform, but just temper your expectations for how effective he would be assuming that happens. Now that we are all more familiar with the minor league signings recently, it's time for my updated 2020 Marlins opening day roster projection. With the rule change coming to Major League Baseball next season, 26 players on an active roster instead of 25, split evenly between 13 position players and 13 pitchers. Uh, I incorporated a couple of these new minor league signings into the mix, but for the most part, these will be very uh, familiar names from what you saw as a Marlins fan in 2019. And uh, I think most importantly, it's a, a young roster. And that wasn't really the case last year. Last year, remember, they had a lot of uh, veterans who were either clinging to bad contracts or brought in and stuck with the team because the top prospects weren't ready to break through. And uh, that's not the case this time. They're putting so many of these high leverage, important roles in the hands of young guys, former top prospects or current top prospects. A few of them will have to wait until later in the season to get called up. Some of them do, however, force themselves on the roster coming directly out of camp in my estimation, it's very exciting to have guys that um, are already dangerous right now, and because they're still young and still somewhat raw, you can reasonably expect them to get better in 2021 and beyond. We're finally beginning to see big pieces of the future that are breaking through, and you expect to be somewhat productive in the present. This team should be better than they were in 2019. They're not going to lose 105 games again. And we hope to see a very significant jump in that team. Uh, a lot of the guys from the opening day roster will have to do with that. Others will come up later. We're going to keep our focus on the initial 26-man group that will break out of spring training. I'll go through position players first, then the pitchers, alphabetical order, based on last name. I'm projecting on the position player side, Jesus Aguilar, Jorge Alfaro, Brian Anderson, John Birdie, Lewis Brinson, Garrett Cooper, Isan Diaz, Corey Dickerson, 
Harold Ramirez, Miguel Rojas, Magneter Sierra, Jonathan VR, and Chad Wallach. A few of those guys are clear priorities for the team. Jorge Alfaro, Brian Anderson, Jonathan VR. I'd put those guys in a separate category as being top priorities for the team that you expect them to play very regularly. Um, it'd be very unlikely for someone to challenge them for a solid starting job on the usual. Miguel Rojas was right behind that, I would say, coming off a very strong season as essentially the everyday shortstop and recently signed to an extension. And Corey Dickerson in that same Rojas tier, that's my expected free agent signing. They've already been very credibly linked to Dickerson. They've had some discussions with him, uh, balking at his asking price a little bit, considering that Dickerson does have some durability issues, especially this past year where he missed about half the season in total on a one, two, three separate injured list stints, including finishing the year with a broken foot. But Dickerson, when he's been healthy the past few years, he's been a great offensive player. Not not good and not decent, but a great hitter. And the Marlins need more quality bats on their team. He's a corner outfielder, turned himself into a good defensive outfielder. He played a lot of designated hitter when he was in the American League briefly with Tampa Bay. But since moving back to, to Pittsburgh and then Philadelphia uh, in left field, that's been his by far his primary position. And he's been... Uh, depending on what you look at, he's really improved as a defensive left fielder. Uh, Not so much because of his raw athleticism, but improved instincts for reading the ball. Uh, He does his best with uh, probably below average throwing arm. Uh, The signing with him is more about the bat, uh, specifically what he could do against right-handed pitching. I imagine it would take a two-year deal to get it done. We're seeing a very strong free agent market this year. And again, aside from Yimmy Garcia, the Marlins have not been giving out guaranteed deals. They've been outbid by their teams, reportedly outpriced out of Avisael Garcia, who they were interested in. Garcia got two years, $20 million. My prediction would be about two years, $18 million for Dickerson, maybe two seventeen. And if the Marlins are responsible, I would like to see them front load that contract. You don't see that very often, but because of the fact that they have the at-bats for him right now in 2020, and in 2021, it's a little murkier with all the outfield prospects potentially breaking through. If they want to get him, and if they want to consider him as a tradable player late in the season or next season, then that's the way you do it, is you give him a lot of his money up front, and that makes him more movable later on if you re- if you figure that he is expendable coming up at some point. Uh, but that would be my pick. Uh, that, that's I'm rooting for Yasiel Puig, but I think they're going to lean towards that lefty bat and someone that comes potentially a little bit cheaper on average annual value than, than Puig would. My prediction is Dickerson. Some of the other ones, uh, Aguilar will play a lot at first base, not every day unless he absolutely mashes, but he'll play very significantly at that position, be really dangerous off the bench in games that he isn't starting. John Birdie did more than enough late last season to show that he belongs on a major league roster. Uh, his versatility was pretty incredible. Uh, it was still a small sample, you know, just half a season in the big leagues, but he made a lot of really impressive plays, both as a middle infielder, as a third baseman, as a center fielder, he's he's going to have a fit on the roster, especially now that they have that extra spot in 2020. Uh, Lewis Brinson, it's been really discouraging in the major leagues. Uh, we've mentioned this on the website. Uh, he's one of the worst hitters to get this kind of long leash at such a young age. It's The, the history says that he's simply um, 
that it's not a safe bet that he's ever going to reach that ceiling that the Marlins were so attracted to. And uh, I have him on the open gate roster on the condition that he's not an everyday player. I, I think Brinson and Sierra would form some sort of platoon in center field. Uh, both those guys were highly thought of as prospects, but I think there are very clear limitations in both of their games. They're both Sierra is out of options, which makes him a pretty easy call to make the roster. Brinson has an option left, um, but I think there's really not a whole lot to prove in AAA. He went down to AAA last year, and he produced, then got called back up, and it simply didn't translate to any improvement at all. So I, I think you put him around the new coaches that they have and uh, suggest a few tweaks to his game. Uh, a guy that he's always been in shape the last couple of years, but in terms of being motivated, that's never really been an issue for him. Um, it's really more fundamental issues with his swing and his pitch recognition. So hopefully the new additions to the staff can help with that. Uh, so I see him more as a filler on the roster to begin the year. They have interesting outfielders in AAA. And I, I did have a temptation to put Monte Harrison on the roster projection because Monte is um, he's a guy that has – a couple of dimensions to his game that even Brinson doesn't have. He's a really premium defensive outfielder, a top of the line base runner. I love his makeup. He went to Puerto Rico this offseason and played really well. Um, and also with Harrison, he is 24 years old, turning 25 next August. So even though with some other top prospects, you see service time manipulation to gain extra years of control, uh, they already have him under control throughout his entire 20s. Uh, pushing it back, I'm not sure what exact purpose that serves. If, if you have worries about um, him being a guy that could have a relatively short shelf life because of his durability tra uh, concerns and um, the effort that he plays with and all that, uh, I, I don't really see that, that extra year necessarily being worth it. If he proves that he's definitely ready for the major leagues right now. Um, but I still think the most likely scenario is he is held down because of some of the reps that he missed last year because of wrist injuries. He should be up in the majors relatively soon, but I think the easiest fit is to have Brinson and Sierra handling center field on opening day. Uh, to touch on the other ones, Isan Diaz, uh, they're going to go into spring training hoping he's the everyday second baseman. If he if he simply doesn't perform, then he could find himself sent down or at the very least lose some playing time as they want to find at-bats for Jonathan VR. VR is someone that's going to move around a lot, and second base is a position he's had a lot of experience with. So Diaz is going to be on the roster either way, um, but he'll certainly have to prove himself pretty early on to stick around. Uh, the final ones to touch on, Chad Wallach, who uh, we've mentioned previously is somewhat of a question mark coming back from a concussion and concussion-related symptoms that prevented him from returning later in 2019. But he is the only other catcher besides Alfaro on the roster right now. So hoping for the best that he's going to be healthy, that he's going to look the same way he did in 2019 spring training and earn the job. And finally, Harold Ramirez, who when he got called up uh, towards the middle of the 2019 season, his bat was on fire. He had some stretches in the middle where he was hitting too many ground balls. But then he made some really interesting adjustments late in the year tapping into more of his power. He had a couple walk-off home runs in the month of August alone. And he, as it turns out, he's one of the top leading home run hitters returning from last year, even though he's in a package that uh, with a frame that isn't super athletic and wasn't won't wow you away. He has such uh, good fundamental hitting skills. And he's someone I've been 
big fan of dating back to when the Marlins originally signed him to a minor league deal. And he'll be on a roster either way, even if you don't know if he's going to be a really impactful everyday player, even if you think there might be some regression from 2019, that extra roster spot makes it more manageable. At the very least, Harold is going to be a good weapon to have off the bench as a late game pinch hitter as well. Someone that has shown he can handle both lefties and right-handed pitching. Uh, good for the clubhouse, good for the fans. And uh, so he fills out my position player side of the roster projection onto the pitchers. The 13 names are Sandy Alcantara, Jeff Brigham, Adam Conley, Harleen Garcia, Yimi Garcia, Eliezer Hernandez, Brandon Kinsler, Pablo Lopez, Aaron Northcraft, Sterling Sharp, Caleb Smith, Ryan Stanek, and Jordan Yamamoto. My projected rotation would be Alcantara, number one, Caleb Smith, Pablo Lopez in some order, two and three. Uh, Eliezer Hernandez and Jordan Yamamoto, some order, four and five. And with uh, our two-time defending opening day starter, Jose Ureña, he's going to get traded. That's something that several of the beat beat reporters seem to agree on, that he was pretty actively shopped during the winter meetings and that there are other teams interested. Considering the price of free agent starting pitchers this offseason, there are teams that want to improve their rotation but don't want to commit multiple years at eight-figure salaries. Urania is arbitration eligible for about $4 million this coming year. That's going to make him really desirable as a a low-risk acquisition that still has some tantalizing potential because of his fastball velocity and his athletic build and the durability that he showed in 2017 and 2018. I imagine he's out of the picture to clear way for this homegrown rotation. And you have guys at AAA really pounding on the door. Sixto Sanchez, uh, Nick Neidert, uh, Edward Cabrera could be a guy that starts in AAA, George Guzman, a lot of intriguing options. My guess is those pitching prospects don't quite break through into the opening day equation, but they will be up shortly afterwards. And uh, again, these injuries can't really be fully anticipated. If any of these starters do suffer some sort of injury, uh, then I imagine internally those prospects will get uh, another serious consideration for actually joining the roster out of the shoot. Uh, on the relief side, Jeff Brigham is someone that I'll be following very closely. Uh, if you look at the overall numbers in the majors last year, not going to impress you all that much, the elevated earned run average, but he had such a huge spike in his fastball velocity from 2018 to 2019. He's at a point where he's one of the harder throwers in this entire bullpen, and even more impressively was the slider and how dominant he was when he got ahead in counts and was able to use that pitch. He's someone that with slightly improved control, he doesn't even need to be precise with his command, but just by throwing more first pitch strikes and able to get to that slider more often, even using the slider more often um, than he currently does, he's going to be very tough to even put the bat on the ball against. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's working high leverage innings for this Marlins team. Adam Connolly was someone that I've really gone back and forth on. I'll admit to being inconsistent with opinions on him. There were times last year where I was over him and was surprised the Marlins didn't simply DFA him, release him. It just seemed that despite his impressive velocity and his pedigree as a former high-round draft pick, that he he just wouldn't be an effective, consistent reliever. 
Um, you look into the numbers a little bit more, uh, the issues he had with his changeup early on, he made some adjustments to that pitch later in the season that show some promise. Uh, the fact that he gets another year now working with Mel Stoudemire Jr., the pitching coach, and some of the instructors, maybe they can tap into something. He just do a raise in arbitration, which I thought might scare the Marlins away a little bit. Um, because those deals aren't fully guaranteed, they could always cut ties at the end of spring training if he carries over those struggles from 2019. But he was, all things considered, a very decent reliever in 2018. And uh, entering his age 30 season, um, in out of options, all that, um, there's going to be a very short leash on him, I imagine. But it seems he's coming back, and um, I'm going to give you the most honest projection I possibly can for the team right now. He's going to be in the mix. Uh, both of the Garcias, Harlan Garcia, arguably the best reliever the Marlins had last year in terms of the ones that actually finished the year with the team, uh, ERA in the low threes, and the fielder independent pitching almost matched that as well. It was kind of surprised when you look at it that he actually spent some time in AAA considering how good he was in the majors. Uh, it was a great bounce back year from where he was in 2018. He'll be pitching pretty important innings. Yimi Garcia, given that guaranteed deal brought into spring training, um, I mean, it's again, it's not a huge commitment that the Marlins made. So if it is evidently clear at some point early on that um, he can't keep the ball in the ballpark because that was an issue with him for the Dodgers last year, allowing too many home runs. Um, he's, he's not necessarily guaranteed to stick around, but uh, I imagine pretty confidently that he will be on the opening day roster. Uh, Sterling Sharp pickup in the Rule 5 draft that the team is very excited about and uh, doesn't have premium velocity, but a very high ground ball rate in the minor leagues. It's He has that sinker that hitters in the minors at least weren't able to really barrel up very well has some experience as high as double a and uh he's gonna have a very strong shot at breaking the roster because clearly the the marlins like him not just for 2020 to fill a spot on the roster but long term as well don't give up on ryan stanick i know late last year was very discouraging after he came over in the trade from tampa bay uh, Don Mattingly plugged him into some high relief, high leverage relief situations, and he choked away a few different games, despite having that great fastball splitter combination that had given him success with Tampa Bay. Um, because of his track record, uh, he did seem to get things together a little bit in September. He, he's certainly going to come back to the team, um, not even arbitration eligible yet. So the Marlins are definitely going to give him another shot. Uh, not necessarily going to use him as a closer initially, but certainly um, bring him back and, and try again because that was a pretty significant trade that they, they gave up Nick Anderson, who could have been a long-term relief option for them, and Trevor Richards as well. It, clearly, they believed in Stanek's stuff and his poise, so he will get another opportunity to show that. Uh, I think my front runner for closing games is someone that's not actually signed to the team right now, uh, but free agent Brandon Kinsler, who we just named, he is coming off a very good season with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, in the same way as Sterling Sharp, uh, Harlan Garcia, he doesn't overwhelm me with velocity. He might have the lowest velocity out of all those guys, but he throws a ton of strikes. He has a lot of experience in this league, before Chicago with the, the Brewers and with the Twins, he has closed games in the major leagues before, which is something that the rest of this bullpen is really lacking. And I don't see really anybody here that is um, consistently closed games in the majors. So he has that experience, uh, by far the oldest player of this bullpen as well at 35 years old. 
It should be attainable on just a one-year guarantee, but it's going to cost more than Yumi Garcia did. It'll, it'll cost a few million dollars and potentially has some incentives in there based on games finished or something. Um, but he's the guy that was reportedly drawing a lot of significant interest. The Marlins have not been named specifically as one of those teams, but I do have a hunch because of everything that the organization has been saying about emphasizing throwing strikes and being consistent. He's the guy that fits that bill. And finally, filling out the bullpen is Northcraft, uh, mentioned as one of the non-roster invitees uh, to give yet another different look, simply. The fact that you have retained a lot of hard throwers in this bullpen between Brigham and Conley and Stanek and Garcia, Yimmy Garcia. Um, You don't need another fireballer in this bullpen to be successful. And Northcraft is one that I imagine they... um, he was so successful in AAA last year, and considering how much AAA benefited the hitters, if you're putting up a sub 2.0 ERA, that that means something. I, be, I have to believe, and I think if he just performs well in spring training, that he's going to have a shot at breaking this opening day roster. Uh, as things currently project, um, I think he's going to sneak in and w- waiting to be determined what his role would be. Obviously. Uh, He's an intriguing pickup that uh, this is the kind of year where you give a shot to some of those wild card signings. That will do it for this episode of Fish Bites with me, Eli Sussman. I'm anxious to hear what your opening day roster projections are, who you want to see the Marlins target in free agency to fill out the roster, who you think they actually will get. Because for me, there was a difference between who who's on my wish list and what my expectations are for them actually delivering those quote-unquote presents. Uh, Everybody have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy Holidays. Uh, I'll catch up with you next time. One more episode left in 2019 before we move forward to an exciting build-up to the 2020 season. Go Fish! (laughs) 